Welcome to the Bards FM podcast. This is Scott Kesterson, and tonight you're listening to A Conversation with Pastor Brad Cummings, Part 1. This war is real. Fighting is everything. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Tempt not the righteous man to draw his sword. Conviction, righteousness, ruthlessness. To understand tolerance, you have to understand the line of intolerance. War is the teacher, soldiers are the students. They become the bards of war. Good evening, patriots. And tonight, on the eve of kind of the Christmas weekend, December 23rd, 2024, or 2022, not 2024 yet, I'll tell you, it's been a long day. We're having a great interview with Pastor Brad Cummings, and it's part one and part two, and part two will be at the regular time of Fishers, and I think you'll really enjoy this. It's some great discussion, as we always have, in our faith and the things to explore, and ultimately our love in Jesus. Patriots, before we begin, make sure that you're taking good preparations for the season. We know that part of that is also to get a good night's sleep. And to do that, you need to have good sleep products. And naturally, the best of those products with a Patriot company, with a CEO that loves Jesus, a CEO that has led that company to literally pioneer and lead the fight in protecting liberty, that's MyPillow. And MyPillow.com has amazing sales. They're going to continue out through the entire rest of the year until the new year. And it's just some incredible deals that are going on right now. The best sheets, Giza cotton sheets, best pillows, My Pillow Classic, best mattresses, best mattress toppers, best slippers, my slippers. And they even have coffee. So you can like go to sleep, tuck into those sheets, tuck your put your head on that pillow, tuck into a cover yourself with a great comforter with a great duvet. Pop up in the morning, put on your my pillow pajamas, or if you've already got them on, slip into your my pillow slippers and make yourself a batch of my coffee. The whole thing. And all of that you can have with great discounts using your Bards code, B-A-R-D-S. So head on over to MyPillow.com or go over to MyPillow.com forward slash Bards, which is the Bards Nation's main page there on MyPillow. And use your promo code Bards and you will not be disappointed. This is a great time as well just to focus on those preps in your house of things you need for the new new year and new season to keep ourselves well-rested, well-focused in the midst of this crazy world that we are currently living in. So again, MyPillow.com forward slash Bards, promo code Bards. Well, Patriots, tonight we have a great discussion with Pastor Brad Cummings, obviously a good friend of mine. And we have, whenever we get on these discussions, they never last an hour. And this one's a solid two hours. So that's where we get part one and part two. And I thought it was, we actually recorded it last week and I just thought it was much very fitting to play it on this night, which was the lead in before Christmas Eve. Now, just to remind everybody tomorrow night is the Bard's Christmas special. And I'm super excited about it. I'm not kidding. We've had some fantastic contributions this year. And I think you'll be really pleased to see all the faces that are joining in and it's just been a real pleasure seeing the inspiration people are bringing to this, the excitement they wanted to, to they had to be part of it. And we're just going to continue to grow this every single year. So I hope you enjoy that. And that will be tomorrow night. We will have the audio version here on Podbean. We'll have it up on Rumble. We'll have it on BitChute. We'll have it on Gab TV. And yes, Patriots, we're going to try to put it up on YouTube. 
Might even try to live stream it on YouTube if we can. I'm rolling my eyes, and you know why, because that's Crazyville over there. But we'll do the best we can. But it will be everywhere for you to look and enjoy, and will be as strong an audio cast as it will be a visual cast. So video and audio both on this one. I think you'll enjoy it. So we look forward to doing that. Now, one thing, finally, before we, we head out, make sure as well that you're taking good care of your preps for the season. This is time to really think forward to what's coming because there's a lot coming. We have an unstable, ruthless government that's out of control. and We don't want anybody to be caught short. Patriots, if you haven't heard, we're heading into the worst diesel fuel shortage in 70 years. And that's a big problem because if truckers can't get enough fuel, grocery stores could go empty. You need to stock up now on emergency food. Visit MyPatriotSupply.com and grab a special offer from My Patriot Supply, the nation's largest preparedness company. You'll save 25% on their four-week emergency food kit with a wide variety of breakfasts, lunches, dinners, drinks, and snacks that provide over 2,000 calories a day for strength and energy. My Patriot Supply wants to help American families more by charging less. So go to MyPatriotSupply.com and you'll save 25% on their four-week emergency food kit. Order enough to get your family through the difficult times ahead. At least one kit per person in your home. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and grab all the four-week kits you need. MyPatriotSupply.com Patriots, food is security, both mentally and spiritually. And the time to prepare is now. That's MyPatriotSupply.com. Patriots, if you don't think this is a real issue, Facebook is encouraging its followers to report people that are over-prepping, whatever the heck that means. In other words, they want people caught short on food, on money, on everything, so that the government can, can come in and be your best friend. That would be things like having turkey dinner with an FBI agent that was on that was helping make January 6th go over the way it did. Or rubbing shoulders with a DHS person who's been helping the FBI raid homes or monitoring in social media or somebody in the CIA that's been infiltrating Twitter. You know, that's the sort of love our government has. <laughs> we know how much we love them all. And we're just so encouraged in this season that in, and by the way, just before we begin, because I do have to say, if there's anybody here from the FBI, NSA, DHS, intelligence agencies, especially the CIA, you clowns, God bless you, because we're praying for you, and we're praying for you big time, but not the way you might like. We're praying for a little justice, and that's going to be raining down here in these coming years, and if I were you, I'd either repent or run, because you ain't going to get out of the way of being Father God. He's coming. All right, patriots, with that said, let's introduce again, as you know him well, and we're going to enjoy another great hour with Pastor Brad Cummings. Well, patriots, I'm really Honored and blessed once again to have my good friend and probably one of the most brilliant minds in biblical study and just general wisdom, Pastor Brad Cummings. So it's always an honor to have him on. Always we have a good conversation. So you get to enjoy that again as he and I meander through a few topics here that I think are fairly relevant. Good morning, Brad. How are you? Good morning, sir. I am I am great. I am mid-coffee. So it's, and I have, I have two teaspoons of, of natural honey from our own beehive. So I am awesome. You raise your own bees too, don't you? We do. 
And I think I think even when they sting me, it's it's like beneficial. I don't know that I had enjoyed it, but it's amazing. I mean, um, bees are like super healthy for you. That's so pretty amazing. How many hives do you have? We have six hives. Our neighbors were were kind of frightened, uh, but then they like the honey, so we keep bribing them with honey, and they don't complain. And that's in an urban setting, or is that at your other property? That's in a residential suburban uh, L.A., and we we declare it a necessity for pollination of the neighborhood. <laughs> no, we have the same thing in Oregon. That's just kind of I tell people this is kind of amazing because. There's so many rules in this liberal playbook that people look at like they're squeezing them. And if you know how to play them, they actually give you enormous latitudes. Yeah. I just, it, when I, when we found out just how healthy bees are for life and how essential they are, it was sort of like, it was a no brainer going like, well then let's get some. It's like, a family of four can live off the produce of a single hive for a year if they manage it well. You might get skinny, but you'll have all the protein and the sort of natural medicine stuff that um, is produced from from bees. It, it's extraordinary. I, I, I went into prepper mode. Well, okay, we'll take three. <laughs> nice. And then we have caught three wild swarms. So it's like... I, I grew up, I was allergic to bees. And so I, I, I if I got stung, I, I like become a puffer fish. And it's like, so the fact that we're actually um, beekeepers is kind of crazy, but uh, we're learning a ton. Do you know those little suckers don't fly? They levitate. I've read this. Their little wings do not have the capacity to um, lift their body. But they're they're like like their chest cavity is sort of empty, and the 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 wings beating against their chest cavity creates a resonance and a resonant frequency with the earth that once they beat at a certain level they start to levitate. When I learned that, I kind of went, I want some bees. I want to I want to you know I don't have wings big enough for me to fly, but I got a chest cavity that I could beat on that if I can figure out how the be the bees do it, I could be like Neo. <laughs> and one day I'm just going to launch. It's like, come on, greater works, baby. <laughs> <laughs> so those little suckers, they, they don't fly. And you, you think most people are like, what do you mean? It's like when the little baby bees are born, they don't know how to fly. They don't fly. They just kind of crawl around and you got to kind of help them get back in the hive and stuff like that. Um, but pretty soon they learn. And then it's, it's crazy. So I think these are supernatural. How many times do you have your hives split? Um, well, one, one split is they left <laughs> and we were sad. <laughs> and it's like, what? We fed you. We housed you. We did all this stuff, made a condo for you. Um, but yeah, what are the hives? Uh, they, they swarm at different times, and if you're not if you're not managing just the the room inside, they can feel a little cramped, and then um, we'll try to jump elsewhere. So um, we've had to requeen our 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 queens because down in here in Southern California, we get some of those like Africanized bees, and they're a little aggressive. So we got we we traded in for a couple of Italian models. And they're a lot more gentle and nice. So 
But it's kind of wild when you get your hands and you get like 3,000 bees sort of all over the place. And, you know, I'm no longer frightened by it. And just kind of like, wow, they're cute and they're nice. Good job, girls. Nice. Nice. Well, we're going to be doing that up here too. You know that this year. So yes, I do. It's going to be an interesting year ahead. We're in a real interesting time, to say the least. You and I have had a lot of great conversations as of late, including a fantastic one yesterday. And we're really looking at a lot of fear in this time. And it's anxiety. And sometimes people don't like the word fear because they'll be like, I'm not afraid. It's like, okay. But if you've got anxiety or, you've, or you're brimming with rage or anger, and it's hard not to at times. You and I had that discussion yesterday very specifically. But that's, it's like impossible. Right. I think that's the first validation, right? Yeah, it's like I, I don't – the Bible wouldn't have like 360 different times where it says fear not if it wasn't sort of a natural state it's trying to shift us out of. And, you know, it's like when you're afraid – when someone tells you to, you know, don't be afraid, it's like you might as well tell them to be 12 feet tall. It's like, I'm sorry, I can't do that. I'm already there. And the thing that I've learned over time is it's God's love that displaces fear. And, you know, I think we talk about love, but, you know, I think most people have a very deficient understanding of love. They kind of go, yeah, 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 I know. And it's like, no, 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 I don't think you do. Paul, Paul in, in Ephesians, he prays that the eyes of our heart would be opened and that we would know the surpassing greatness of his power, that we'd, we'd know his purpose for us, his power behind us towards those who believe. And then he actually prays a prayer. He says, you know, I pray that you would be filled up to all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. And it's like, what does that mean? That's a lot. And then he says, I, I, I pray that you would know the length, the depth, the height, and the breadth of the love of God. And I'm going like, okay, you just mentioned four dimensions there. And do I understand all that? No, I don't. But I have made it a priority in life to kind of just go like, hey, God, I need to know what you think of me. Because when I'm aware that he loves me, and I'm not just, you know, that's a little confession. When I'm aware of that emotionally, fear is just not present. And I don't know how to be fearless without just having a depth of an understanding of how much he loves me personally. Not just humanity, not just, you know, the sweetest thing, Jayla, our little granddaughter, she, her mom taught her, you know, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Little ones to him belong. I mean, you know, it's like that whole wonderful little, you know, little child song. She started to sing it on the phone the other day. It was so precious. And I sat there going like, no flipping way. This is probably the most important song I could hear right now. It's just in infusing her little heart with the knowledge that Jesus absolutely loves her. They're, they're coming here to, to celebrate Christmas early. And it's like her parents have not even told her about Santa Claus. Because Christmas isn't about Santa Claus. Christmas is going to be about Jesus's birthday. 
And while I know it's not in December, it really was in September. <laughs> we're, we're, we're just going to focus on. So we're making a Jesus birthday cake and we have Jesus in the little manger. And we always have the little, you know, uh, uh, Christmas gift up in the tree that we unwrap. And it's little baby Jesus that we put in the manger. So we're just going to have a wonderful Jesus and God's love celebration for Christmas because I think that's the only thing that's going to help people not be afraid. You said something to me yesterday, which I really took to heart, and it was a, a real good observation because of a comment that I made, I've made a number of times on the show, which was that fear itself is a sin. And your rebuke, which was well taken, is that we can't be framing fear as a sin and expecting people to have no fear because all we're doing is adding on measures of guilt <laughs> and missing the point that through the love of God is how we elevate up ourselves beyond fear. So I, I really want you to talk to that because I think it was fantastic. And as you know, I, I, I acknowledge that and acknowledging it here, obviously is a, is even a personal testimony to myself. Um, as we kind of fight this very demonic and evil enemy that seeks to constantly churn fear and anxiety within people. Yeah. You know, I think, I think the challenge about fear, the reason I would kind of say it's like, you know, don't hammer it on, you know, as, as something of, of sin is I'm not sure fear is a conscious choice. Fear is a response. And to, to, to choose courage is a choice I can make in the presence of fear. I can behave and act in a way that is full of courage, but usually courage is displayed in the face of fear. And so to me, fear is just kind of a response. And, you know, if we understand the word sin, sin's an archery term. It means to miss the mark. And so part of me is going like, yeah, when God says fear not, that's not the bullseye. He's not. He's not saying be, be afraid. Be very afraid. Um, I feel fear when I'm not aware that he's with me, and I end up going like, "Well, the only way I'm going to help someone not be afraid is to encourage them to recognize God's presence." You know, I think one of the most amazing things that God has done in this thing called being born again is he's decided to, to put the Holy Spirit right inside you. And it, it's it's kind of like, why? Well, so you can't lose him. <laughs> I mean, I don't know if that's an Einstein thought, but I just had to go like, that's so extraordinary to me that God has decided to take up residence inside my physical temple, my body. And he wants me to become aware of his presence. And so there's, there, it's like, I can't lose him. I can't leak him out. I can't run away where he's not going to be. And so the question is, how do I come to a place of being aware that one, he's with me and that he's for me and that he loves me? Because I think if, 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 if I can somehow wrap my understanding and make that my headquarters, I will not struggle with fear because I will never face a moment alone. And I think that's the most important thing. And it's like, you can't just beat someone over the head with that. That that really comes by a revelation, which is why I think Paul prayed that. 
You know, here's the super Pharisee. He's the 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 chief of the Sanhedrin. And it's like he's ultra zealous for God. He's even out there killing Christians in the name of being zealous for God. And and he recognizes, my gosh, I could not have been more wrong. I thought what I, I was sincere. I thought what I was doing was right. And I, I could not be more wrong. And now it's like he's sort of rewriting all of his evaluation understanding. And it's centered about love. I mean, I think we get confused of the fact that Paul is a guy that everyone sort of knows the most about because he writes all the ethics. And it's sort of like we somehow think Christianity is about ethics. And I end up going like Paul, more than anyone else, talked about love. And I'm like, why do we not recognize that? Why do we not recognize Paul as like the super love guy? And I don't know why that is. I think we 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 can't because I don't know where Christianity got sideways, but it's like we're sort of taught to not trust our emotions. And I'm going like, well, what do you do with them? Because God gave them to you. And I, I can I get that I can be confused and I can deceive myself, but at some point when the Holy Spirit's taking up residence on the inside and I'm no longer fighting with him. I do think one of the most important things is to come to a place of confidence in my ability to discern that I can trust the indicators he's giving me. And and, and one of the most important things is to recognize he can speak to me and guide me through my emotions if they're surrendered and submitted to him. And that's why it's really important to kind of get us out of a fear state, because when I'm afraid, I tend to feel like I'm alone. I tend to feel powerless and I'm overcome and I'm afraid of the outcomes. And I feel like Jesus would be there saying, hey, I'm here. I'm right here. Haven't left you. Promise to never leave you. And I've never asked you to do something in your own strength. I will supply the strength that you need. I just need you to connect with me. Let me throw something out at you here because this is um we talk a lot about fear and yet i'd say probably one of the predominant emotions people are feeling right now is either intense anger to vengeance or outright hatred which is again validating that is completely natural but what are your thoughts on this that in fact at the core of that emotion is fear and it's not the fear that we normally think of, but rather the fear of lack of justice or that God will deliver. I, no, I, I think that's very insightful, Scott, because I think that's true. I think I think the reason we, we see things that are wrong and our justice meter on the inside gets pegged. It's like the meter's like, wait, this is wrong. Someone should do something. This should not happen. And I think I think we get hit by the enemy going like, well, if God was all powerful and he was all loving, then how in the world does this happen? And it's, and it's like we get taken down some stupid road of starting to accuse God. And I'm going like, hey, excuse me. He gave dominion to man on the face of this earth. And so what happens on the earth, frankly, is our privilege and responsibility to be a decision maker and a responder. And the problem is most people in the presence of fear, they don't respond well. I, I, I don't engage in such a way that I use the authority. Like, you know, when when the, the disciples were frightened because of the storm and Jesus is, you know, he's, uh, he's like, you know, why you, you have little faith? He's not angry at them. 
I think he's sitting there going like, I was asleep. I was so dead dog tired that in the midst of a storm, I'm still asleep. I don't think it's God like, you know, he really did know the storm was there, but he's just pretending to be asleep. I'm thinking he was just dead dog tired, absolutely asleep. When he wakes up, he rebukes the storm. And I think he looks at them and says, you guys, you little faith. I think he's going like, you could have done something to this storm. You could have said something. I have given you authority. You just are afraid to use it. And I look at that moment and I'm just going like, he's not like, oh, I scored your test and you guys got an F for this one. I think he's just going like, hey, I'm here. I'm happy to rebuke it for you, but you could have. And, and, and I really think that God's kind of scratching his head with the way I think most of the time we pray because we're always asking God to do stuff he's commissioned us to do. And I think when I came to grips with that, I, I changed the way that I prayed. I stopped asking God to do, and I would and I would start to declare in his power that he's granted to me. I'd sort of recognize, wait a minute, I'm here as your hands and, and feet, and I'm here to, in the flesh, to speak your words of life to other people that they can be empowered and touched by them. And I, and I think if, if we would learn to kind of shift and it's not like, oh, God, you do it, you do it. It's like, no, I'm here for a reason. And it's to learn, to grow, and to walk with him. I mean, ultimately, the, 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 the destiny for humans that's open to us is that he is one day going to take a bride, a corporate one, and she's going to sit and rule and reign the universe with God. And so this life is training for reigning. And it's like, He's trying to get us to learn how to operate in his power with his sanctioned, commissioned authority so that we can turn an upside down world right side up. Yeah, isn't that amazing? There's a real apprehension when we bring these things up of taking into the authority of Father God. I, I, I think that's been well inoculated, unfortunately, from the pulpit. It's a very common theme of we're not worthy and trying to beat home that principle. And then somehow, if we do step into that, it's almost heretic. It's the idea that somehow you're assuming authority that then you will be judged by inappropriately because you're not worthy, which you and I both share. It's That's a complete false narrative, but nonetheless. Yeah, I mean, you know, I, I think at the at the core of a lot of it, is an unconfessed fear of disappointment. I think because we're not at home in our commissioned authority, we're not walking in power. We haven't really developed a confidence of being led by the Holy Spirit where I can go like, hey, I know him. Um, and he speaks to me and I speak back and we actually are friends. I mean, that's supposed to be normal Christianity. I think one of the, the, the fears we have is we've sort of turned salvation into doing everything right and making sure that you don't do it wrong and that you believe all the correct things. And so it's like I, I got to take a doctrine test. And I'm going like, I actually don't know anybody that has all their doctrine right. I, I, I would raise my hand and go like, you know what? I don't know. I, I know him, but I keep growing. And that means I keep learning things that the day before I didn't know. 
So if you were to assess me, <laughs> I would not have gotten as good a score yesterday as I do today because I'm still learning stuff. And so I'm going like, this isn't about having all the right doctrine. And the reality is, is I don't think we recognize God is so excited when I try. Do I think, I mean, I don't know about you. I'm not so gifted that everything I tr I do for the first time is flawless. I don't know that I've ever done that. You know, so I, I learn by doing. I don't learn by theorizing. And, you know, it's interesting. I like out here where we live, we have all these like professional baseball players. And so baseball is like super big deal. And I go like, what a long, boring game. I mean, I just, it, it's like, it does not work for me. Okay. It's got too many rules. I don't understand them all, but we'd sit there for hours watching kids all terrified. They're going to strike out. And I'm like, what is this? This is like going to church. You're just sitting there for hours and nobody does anything because they're all afraid they're going to do it wrong. <laughs> and I go like, the, the, the best thing, I saw one coach who was not a professional and I sat there going like, oh, this is the best guy because he doesn't give a rip and he doesn't try to prove anything. He's just, he, he's telling the kids, look, just hit the ball. I don't care where you hit it. I don't care how hard you hit it. I don't care if you step over the plate to hit it. Don't wait and don't watch hit the ball. And my gosh, he turned kids fear afraid of striking out into some of the best hitters because it didn't really matter what kind of pitch they were going to have. Whatever the ball was, they were going to swing. And he somehow took out the fear of making it wrong and, and, and the fear of mistaking. It's like, I don't care if you miss it, try it again. And it's like, what if we did that with learning how to operate with the things of God, learning how to move in the Holy Spirit and learning how to be an agent that can dispense his power? And I learn by doing and by trying. And it's like, well, if I get it wrong, we'll try again. This is really important because I think you just hit something that we too often misframe. So when we talk about fear not in Scripture— so you said yourself earlier, it's over 360 times, and that depends on the version. But we are always looking that as that as a warning, a rebuke, or a, a rule to follow, rather than what you just said, a reminder to try. That is massive. That's a massive shift in the way we see Scripture. Oh, totally. Because I'm just going like, everyone's afraid of doing it wrong. I'm going like, well, get over that. You're going to do it wrong. <laughs> what have you not done wrong? <laughs> I mean, do I want to do it wrong? No, I don't want to do it wrong. But if I'm not good at it yet, I'm going to do it wrong. And because I'm not God, I'm not trying to be God. I'm trying to be his little kid who's trying. And I think God's up in heaven going like, woo, do it. Come on. <laughs> Let's, you go, know? <laughs> Let's go. Let's yeah, go. Yeah, go. Hey, Gabriel, check out that little one. He's swinging for the fence. Yeah. Oh, but he misses all the time. So what? He swings. <laughs> I mean, I, I I end up going like, we don't know the heart of God because I think God is so favorably disposed to us. And and and, and you mentioned the whole thing of, of, of judgment. And it's like the reality is, is, that's one of the things that the Holy Spirit is meant to convict the world of. 
And I think when most people realize, when, when most people hear that, they're like, oh, no. And they're afraid. That's their first response to the word judgment. And I'm going like, no. And judgment, when God knows the, the motive of my heart and the desire to please him, how is that going to be a bad result? I mean, if, if the goal of my heart is to please him, and I'm trying, do you think I get a bad score that the, the, the outcome is dependent on my, I can't make a miracle happen. I can't grunt and squeeze one out like I'm trying to give birth to a baby. I, I, I don't walk in some omniscience. It's kind of like I'm only a conduit. I'm the hose. If the water doesn't flow through it, it's, it's, it's still a hose. It's just, but there's no water. And so how do I turn on the spigot? I'm not the water. I'm simply the, the guy who controls the spigot. So I'm going to turn it on and I'm going to see what he will supply. And my Bible says God is able to do exceedingly abundantly beyond all I can ask or think. And I'm going like, well, then what's the problem here? The problem is we don't turn on the, on the hose. We kind of shake the hose at a lot of things and we're, we get a few drips of water out, but we don't actually turn the thing on called belief. And belief is a function of having faith. And I, I don't think faith is a work that it's like my muscle, like I'm going to go build it up. and I'm. A, it's like faith is an issue of trust. And because so many of us don't really know him, you don't, it's not very easy to trust a stranger. It just isn't. We will go along, but it's not like to be to, to be in a place of trust. You talk about being a place of ease where I'm confident that person is for me, is 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 seeking my highest good, and they're not going to betray me. That would be the fruit of trust. Okay, you and I have become friends. And, and, and at a level and depth that it's pretty easy, just trust you. I know you're going to think of me when decisions are being made or, or things are done. I know you're not going to take advantage of me because you've demonstrated an already generous heart and and, and, and a togetherness and stuff. And so I'm, I'm confident that, hey, this guy's for me. He's with me. He's got my back. And if there's something wrong, he'll talk to me. And 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 so there's 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 a piece. I don't think about it. But if, if I have to think about trusting, that's proof that you're not. Okay? Because trust is a fruit. It's not, a, it's not so much a choice. And I think one of the best prayers a buddy turned me on a while back, he said, why don't you pray that God wins you to a place of trust? And I'm going like, okay, wow, I didn't know that that was a valid prayer. <laughs> and it's like, well it, well, it is. And after praying it a ton and saying, hey, God, win me to a place of trust. I got to tell you, I don't spend a lot of anxious days. And I say that it's not that I don't ever have a moment of anxiety. But in those moments, I remember who I'm with, who's with me. And he's not he's not on the far backside of the universe. And because of that, that being true, there's not a situation I'm looking at that I can't resolve with him and then ask him to guide me in what I need to do. And my heart is to obey. I'm not, I'm not looking to be a rebel. And my, my trust is not in me. 
It's like it's like I I'm I'm really smart. I'm really hardworking, but I'm 56 now, and I've learned that all of my smarts and all of my hard work does not guarantee success in anything. It just means I'll get tired, and I've learned to go like, "Hey God, um, I need your help. I want to be efficient. I don't want to waste time. I don't want to run down needless roads. So will you guide me? You know, it, it, Proverbs says." You know, trust in the Lord and, and lean not unto your own understanding and all your ways acknowledge him and he will guide your path. I'm going like, oh, that's perfect. I am in Proverbs 3 verses 4, 5, 6. I'm going to do that one. I am going to lean into him. I'm going to entrust what I'm doing to say, hey, God, please. I, I don't want to do this by myself. I can't do it without you. You're not going to do it without me. So we're going to do this thing together. So guide me, direct me, and empower me, and guide my steps. And and the truth is, is I've done that every single flipping day for a long, long, long time. That now it's pretty much normal. And I and I and I and I I can look back and I go like, yeah, I did. You know, is, how's my batting average? Did I get it wrong? Yeah, I do. Sometimes it's and how do I know? Well, it doesn't it doesn't manifest. You know, so it's kind of like well. I, I I did the best I understood. I did it in relationship, but my job is faithfulness, not success. That's well said. John 15, 5, I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit for apart from me, you can do nothing. Pretty profound in those words. And it gets to something pretty much everything you just said. But I think it gets to a deeper core of the relationship with a father, not just the father. We've talked a lot about this. This is something that's very remiss or missing in our modern culture of with all the broken families is even to understand what a true relationship is with a father. So you know my story. I've shared some of it on the show. My father and I were estranged for 10 years. And that first child, hard-headedness and a lot of other things. Not that I would be ever hard-headed, Brad. You know that. No, but, no, of course not. <laughs> <laughs> but the, uh, the truth of it is, is at the end of the day, that experience has probably taught me more about the relationship in our father because I had such a profound father. Someone who was willing to work through those difficult moments and even being estranged for 10 years, we, we committed ourselves together to resolving those differences. And it didn't take long, but it took some hard and honest conversations. That is where we lack the understanding, I think, in the depth of who Father God is because we are always fearful of rebuke rather than embracing the opportunity to grow with a father that will grow with you. He'll guide you back. He's never going to forsake you. He's always going to be there with you. And he is excited about seeing that growth in you. And when you step way off the tracks, he's still there. He's going to probably say, Hey, you know, <laughs> probably not such a good idea here. It kind of hurts, doesn't it? Yeah, I'm not going to take that pain away like that, but I am here with you to walk you through it so you can grow. That, when you have an amazing father, you grow up with one, 
those lessons are endemic in the role of the father because it's teaching us in a mortal way that bigger and appreciation who father God is. And sadly, we're in a culture right now when there's so much in the broken family. And I think in this season right now, it's so important to reflect on this as to the nurturing of the father of where and where he is in our lives. Even if you haven't had a father, as I've said to somebody recently, if you haven't had a father, then pray to father God to be your father so you can learn. So really to embrace in that, right? He promises to be a father to the fatherless. I mean, I, I sort of feel like we have a profound global epidemic of an orphan spirit. Oh, yes. Most people don't have a phenomenal relationship with their earthly father. And, you know, one of the things that, that I'll often do to find out just where someone's at, if I'm just meeting them and I'm trying to, you know, assess kind of where they're at spiritually, I'll oftentimes ask, talk to me about your relationship with your dad. Because that will tell me a ton because, you know, whether we like it or not, that's the primary filter that all of us look through in trying to understand God the Father. God's not a male. He's not a female. He, he's a spirit. And so the word father is, is, is really important. Why did he identify as our father? That really is meant to be a great endearing word. That's not supposed to strike fear in me. That's supposed to be, you know, Abba. You know, I, I was I was at the park a number of years ago, and there is this little Jewish family, a dad, his two kids, and the little girl um, fell off the swing, and the first words out of her mouth was Abba. And I just sat there going like, I had read that, you know, we cry Abba, Father, and I'm going like, okay. I, I it didn't really mean anything because I don't use the word Abba, but in that in their language, that's the word for daddy. That's the word for Papa. That was that little girl's first response. And when she cried that out, he came instantly running. You know, it's like, well, he didn't stop her from falling off the, the swing. It's like, well, yeah, because hello, welcome to planet Earth. Gravity does work. And you can put yourself in a situation where all of a sudden skin knee happens. And but but he's right there to respond to it. Gently pulled her into his arms and you're just going like, okay, I wanna know that dad, that father God, Papa, is someone I can run to at a moment's notice. He's not someone I have to run from. And when you think of, you know, if if I was if I was Satan, I would love to screw up the family. I'd love to murder, murder. That, that's like murder and neuter at the same time, um, <laughs> which is what I think he's tried to do to, to men and to, you know, it, he's murdering. <laughs> he's the murderer. Um, I think the, the reality is, is he has made um, fathers a joke throughout all of our media. Um, it's like the mothers are the ones that are in charge. The the whole gender confusion, the dysphoria. I mean, how intentional is that? Because the truth is, is you screw that up and, and it's like throwing mud on the lens through which we're trying to understand the universe and the God who created me. 
And it's like if you're trying to say, well, you made a mistake. You know, you're you're not really you. You got put in the wrong body. You got the wrong parts. And it's kind of like BS. No, that's not that's not true. I'm the one who's confused on that side. God's not. I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. He knit me together in my mother's womb. I need a mother and a father. Anyone who's ever existed, guess what? They have one. They have a mother and a father who were not gender confused. I mean, you just you just end up going, this is so crazy, the planet that we're on. And what's what's behind it? It is trying to confuse and separate us from him who is love. So if, if I can mess that up, then I have a good chance at overcoming it. It's true. And, and 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 so I I don't I don't think all this stuff is as hard as we make it, but I think one of the one of the the simple ABCs of how do I grow in God, I need the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Truth, to guide me into all truth, and to make the love of God real inside, and then to open up the communication channels where I can perceive his dialogue with me and i have confidence to enter into it as well and once those two things get going on it's like a house on fire good luck stopping that person from growing good luck stopping that person from becoming just a tractor beam of life and advancement of the kingdom because then it's starting to happen they're not operating in their own strength they're not trying to perform for an impossible to please God. God is not impossible to please. He he is so for me, he is so with me. Even, even when I even when I screw up, he knows the he knows the intent of my heart. If I did it for me, he's going to ding me for it and, and he's going to dress me for it. But if I did it in good faith of trying my best, he's simply going to wipe me off, you know, you know, give me a little pat and say, get back out there. And I, I wish people knew that about the living God. I wish they weren't afraid of him. And, you know, the, the fear of God, is that, a, is that a real and important thing? Yes, it's supposed to be the beginning place of wisdom. But what is the fear of God? I don't think it's the, I don't think it is being directly afraid of him. I think it is being afraid of being found outside the boundaries that he set for me. And I think that's super important. I, I don't have to be afraid of him who is love. I just don't. And so his love, if, if that's operative as a revelation of understanding in me, it will displace fear. I'm not afraid of God, but I am very aware. I don't want to be outside the bounds that he set for me. I know it won't go well with, well for me. And two, I know he'll 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 address me. And nobody likes correction. Nobody. I mean, I don't. I, I I mean, I think perhaps you're the only person I know who enjoys correction because you you actually take it very easily. That's one of the things I'm I'm pretty astounded at. Going like, wow, you know, I'll sometimes say, hey, you know, have you thought about this? And I I try to be very kind in the way I deliver it. But man, you just you just lap it up. And I'm going like, I haven't met the person kind of like yourself, that is so willing to receive correction. And I, I, I have to believe it's because of the restored relationship with your own father that empowers that. Because I'm going like, 
Man, most of us don't like that. But correction is proof of sonship. If God's not in my face, it's because he's disregarding me. He's indifferent towards me. I, I, that'd be more proof that I'm not his son. And it's like the corrections and the reproofs of life. That's that's one of the biblical terms, the reproof of life. You're going like, it's not to discourage me. It's to guide me into the path of life. And it's a reproof. It's like, let me show you the way. Here's the way. Walk in it. You are about to walk off the cliff. I'm going to say, stop. And I'm going to be real firm about it. Why? Because I want your attention because the next step is going to be a doozy. So if I know that God's for me as opposed to check marking and evaluating me and dis, 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 discouraging me like you didn't do that right. No, 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 no. The only reason he's correcting me is to bring me back more fully to the path of life. There's a comment that was put on the podcast last couple of days. A real interesting comment that I think marries into this pretty well. And it was this, everything we see in the natural realm is a manifestation of the spiritual condition of the church. This is an interesting perspective when we look at this in terms of the relationship to the Father, our walk with him, and what the church is doing as a bad parent. What's your thought? I, I think there's, I think, I don't know that that's a hundred percent true, but I think there's a lot of truth in it. That if we were sort of a headquarters and an outpost for advancing the kingdom, and we were walking in a, in, in, in alignment with God, and we were, we were extending his realm as we do that, the world's going to reflect that. So I think that's, that's, that's where I go like, yeah, that there's a lot of truth there. The, the the reality is is I can't force someone else to obey. It's like God guys like no 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 you don't you don't get to do that. Every you have to dignify every single person out there. It's their choice. You cannot force someone into the kingdom. You can, I don't rape people with my love. And so the reality is is I can pray for them. I can influence them. I can advocate for them. I I, I can do all the things that are inviting them into the relationship, but I can't force it. So if there's a free will moral agent out there that chooses not to respond to God, not to love, then then we're going to see the effects of that. Hopefully, my life is a walking, talking advertisement that would say, wow, I want some of that. And I can I can I can confidently say that is the effect I have on most people. Not all people, because I don't always walk. <laughs> There's some people pretty sure they've never thought he was a Christian. I guess I didn't behave very well with them. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. Just you know, truth and packaging laws. But for most people, they they really do end up with a little dog whistle frequency as they get to know me. It's like they don't understand because I am deeply in love with God, so it's pretty hard to have a conversation with me without that coming up in some way, shape, or form, and I'm very close with him. It's like, unashamedly, we're friends. We talk, and I make that normal because I think it's supposed to be normal. I don't don't know what this thing called Christianity is 
if that's not normal. That's not exceptional for super holy people. That is the only way I know how to walk this thing out. That's what the whole thing was about, was a relationship. God started in a garden, and he would show up every day and take a walk with them. I find that utterly extraordinary, going like, hey, if they did it then, I would like to do that today. Hey, God, have we gone for a walk today? Have we talked? You don't have to ask me to be interested in that. I'm, I'm going like, the living God, frankly, takes precedence over every other person anywhere in this whole wonderful world. I'm going like, if he calls, I'm sorry, I, I'm going to interrupt you, and I'm going to respond to him. Because I find him the most interesting, fascinating. He's like beyond the Dos Equis man. You know, it's like he, <laughs> he, he is the most fascinating person in the world. It's like it's not found in a bottle. Okay. But it is. It, and so I, I look at them like if, if we were living like that, the world around us would change because I don't think the world has ever rejected that. That kind of leads us to judgment. We've talked a lot about this, the judgment seat. And so much of what I have seen and continue to encounter is this very, it's either a misconception or it's a, it's a fear of, once again, of that judgment seat that we will face. And really, I don't think there's a, you've just had a lot of great discussions about what that looks like in your perspective, which I think are worthy of sharing here. Yeah. I think when you bring the word judgment up, if you just cataloged in people's eyes most of their response, very rarely do I see the person say, oh, awesome. <laughs> you know, can't wait. <laughs> you just go like, I, virtually everybody that I've ever you know brought that up to, they go like, oh, what? And then you tell them that you're going to have to stand before the living God and give an account for every thought, word, and deed. And then just watch, watch the backpedaling, the emotional fear that, 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 that and I'm saying, and they go like, no, 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 but, 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 but I'm not saved by my works. I'm going, I know that you're absolutely not saved by your works. You could never save yourself. Self-righteousness does not get a ticket in. The only righteousness that does is the one that God grants to us because of the finished work of his life in Jesus. So I don't get in there. I don't earn it. My ticket into, into salvation is a gift. But then what I do with that gift, I will be evaluated for. And that's where most people just go like, oh, don't you know, stop that. That's like heresy. And it's like, no, it's not heresy. Second Corinthians 5.10 says, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ that each one may be recompensed for his deeds in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. I'm sorry, there's nothing complex about that verse that would go like, well, what do you really mean? <laughs> that's what he really means. <laughs> that's for everybody. That's not for, that's the only people showing up at the judgment seat of Christ are believers. All the people that, because the verse nine says, therefore, we have this as our ambition, whether at home or absent. And what's he talking about? Whether in the body or out of the body, which is kind of, kind of supernatural, just by the way. We have this as our ambition, to be pleasing to him. So 
I'm pretty sure the only people that the next part of that verse applies to is those people. And I'm pretty sure the folks that are not saved and are serving the devil or serving themselves or serving somebody else, they're not the ones he's talking to. He's talking to believers. And he says, we're all going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ. Now, what is that? Well, there's two judgments that the Bible talks about. There's the judgment seat of Christ, which is for believers. And then there's the white throne judgment, which is in Revelation 20. And it's like, you know, go read that one. But everybody, both both saved and unsaved, they're all going to face judgment. That's one of the things that's called the elementary principles is the, the reality of eternal judgment. So every single person will be evaluated for what they did in the body. And it's kind of like, well, but I thought I was saved and I, I got forgiven. And I, I you know, all, all of that stuff is, is done away with. And it's like, it's not done away with, not for salvation. Yeah, for salvation, your your slate was wiped completely clean. So what is being judged? You know, it's kind of like, and, and why am I being judged? Well, the Bema seat is a lot like the, the Olympic chair of a referee. That's that's what it's, it's it, it that's the word. It's like it's not here as like like court case, like we're gonna do guilty or not guilty. It's like no, no. This is sort of the referee in the Olympics, and it's like you are going to be rewarded. That's the judgment. We're going to evaluate your life, and if there's anything in your life, we're going to reward you. Well, wouldn't you want that? I mean, if you're going to live your life and you're going to do it for, for, for whatever reasons you are, and you know that at the end of your life, you will be rewarded for the things that remain. That would be like super cool. Like, do you want some reward for all your effort? I do. And so I'm not afraid of this moment. I'm going like, cool. What do we get? <laughs> I mean, I, 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 have, I have made it my goal to be pleasing to him. It's curtain number one, curtain number two, or curtain number three. Yeah. But it's like, I get something. Paul talks. I mean, Paul is this guy. He is. He is more zealous for God than I think your average person out there, okay? And he knows the difference between his own zeal and then being filled with the zeal of God. And he's the one that says, hey, this, what we're going through in this world right now is but a momentary light affliction in comparison to the eternal weight of glory. Just before he's about to like get his head chopped off and killed, he's confident, I have run my race. I have finished my call. And I am excited. I am not frightened of what happens next. I am excited because I know I've done my job. I've done it with all that's within me. And now there's a reward and an eternity that I get to enjoy it within. And so I end up going like, this is flat out extraordinary. And so it's like, I started to see that and go like, okay, so what is being judged? How is that being judged? And what does it mean for something to remain? And I, I would encourage people, grab your Bible and spend some time searching this out. But you can go to 1 Corinthians 3. And I, I want to read the passage just because I think it really... It's really valuable to get rid of the fear of judgment. 
if you're trying to be a rebel, then guess what? You can be afraid of judgment because it's not going to turn out well for you. But if your desire is as his child to walk in his ways, to be pleasing to him, to do your purpose, to discover it and then fulfill it, then this is the best news ever because it says God's watching and whatever that is done, that, 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 that you're expending your life's breath and energy, he cares about it. He's going to reward you for it. And, you know, I think people have this weird socialistic utopic idea of eternity that somehow glad that's over. And we're all going to sit up on the couch and watch the reruns of our life eating bonbons. And it's just sort of this socialistic utopia. And it says in 1 Corinthians 15, as one star differs from another in glory, so shall we in the resurrection. And I'm like, well, that's not some socialistic utopia. That's like there's evaluations and then there's unveilings and there's a reality of who you become in this life is who you're going to be in eternity. So don't waste your time here. Make, make use of every single day to be what? To be transformed into his image. You know, as, as, as one star differs from glory, it's, it's like a measure of illumination. It's, it's, a, it, you know, it's like the, the parable of the talents. It's like if, if, I've done, if I've been faithful with what he's entrusted to me, he'll entrust something more. This life is the womb of our eternal calling. And I'm going like, wow. So there's a lot more than just sitting in eternal bliss and, you know, a little cherub playing a harp for me for eternity. No offense, but that's going to get a little old. I don't, I don't think that's eternity. And so I'm going to have my life tested and evaluated. And it says in 1 Corinthians 3, and I'll start with verse 10. It says, according to the grace of God, which was given to me as a wise master builder, I laid a foundation and another is building upon it, but let each man be careful how he builds upon it. For no man can lay a foundation other than the one which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Okay, so I start there. My life is being built on his finished work. So I get salvation as a free gift. But now how I build my life on that is going to be evaluated. Now, if any man builds upon the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, and straw, each man's work will become evident for the day will show it because it is to be revealed with fire, and the fire itself will test the quality of each man's work. And it's like you have this whole bit, you're building your life, and the question is, what are the materials that you're building it out of? Are they flammable? Are they not? And if your life is being built by, you know, gold, silver, and precious stones versus wood, hay, and stubble, what's true about those things, about their intrinsic nature? Can you make gold? Can you grow gold? Can you grow silver? Do you make precious stones? No, they're created. They can be discovered. But it's as if there's something that's originated from God. Wood, hay, and stubble? 
Those things are sort of cultivated and planted. Those are the fruit of our labors. And it's like, guess what? God's not looking for just your hard work. The, the thought of like, if I'm going to spend my entire life to make God the best apple pie on the planet that's ever been made, and I spend all my life doing it, then I get up there and I say, hey, God, here. And he goes, I don't like apples. You're, you're going to be bummed. <laughs> and so I end up going like, okay, I don't think this is just something silly. It's it's a question of what has he purposed for you to do? What has he uniquely called you? Why did he uniquely create you? And do you know what that is? And I sort of feel like there's two important days in our life. There's the when and the why. Your when day is when you started and it's your birthday and you celebrate that. But what's, what's the reason why you're here? Because it says in Ephesians, he created, we are the workmanship of God. He created us for good works that he prepared beforehand so that we might walk in them. And so for your life, Scott, for my life and for everyone listening, God has a purpose purpose for you. He's uniquely gifted you. He's uniquely called you. And he's placed within the fruit of your journey things for you to do that he's already prepared, says beforehand. And he's wanting you to discover them. And then he's wanting you to walk in them. And if you do that and your desire is to be pleasing to him, like that's this is done as an act of worship to him, that's going to be Precious stone building. That is, I am fulfilling my purpose. I am doing my calling. I am I am responding to the living God with the things that he's placed in front of me. The wood, the hay, and the stubble, those are things that, okay, whatever, you, you did it. But you kind of, maybe you did it for yourself. Maybe there's, it's like, you can do all the right things in this life. But if you do it for your own stuff, your own reasons, your own selfish desire, like the desire to be noticed, all that stuff, it's like pouring lighter fluid on it. It's like it makes it flammable. And so I'm not going to be like beaten and in trouble in heaven, but God is going to put his torch to my life. And it's going to all of it's going to be like, let's see if it's flammable. And if it burns up, guess what? I will suffer loss. Wasted time. You know, we all know people that say they're believers, but then if you watch their life, they don't live functionally different than anybody else. And I end up going like, well, what then does that matter? It's like, how is that a, How is that awesome for advancing the kingdom? They're, they're, they're functionally not trusting in God. They're not even asking him. They're not doing anything different than the guy down the street. It's like, are they saved? Well, if they accepted Jesus into their life and they're, they're believing in his finished work, then I'm going to say, yeah, I don't, I don't question their salvation, but their eternal rewards will be a big fat zero. Because it says here, it says, if any man's work, which he has built upon, remains, means that he's going to take his torch to it. And if anyone's work, anyone's life doesn't go up in smoke, he shall receive a reward. If you suffer loss, if any man's work is burned up, he will suffer loss. 
but he himself shall be saved as yet though through fire. And you're just going like, okay, well, that sucks. If 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 what I'm doing is not something that he's initiating, if what I'm doing is not something that he has written for his 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 purpose for my life, if I'm living in reaction to something or I'm I'm trying to please somebody else as opposed to him, then chances are your your life is not going to walk down the path he's really decided. If you are desiring to please him, if you're in dialogue with him and you're saying, hey, God, I'm just trying, guess what? He will nudge you. He, he, will, he will guide you into what you're supposed to do. I don't, I'm not frightened of that. I just want to discover it. But it does take some energy. It does take some effort. It takes some focus. It takes hunger. And I think as you discover it, it's like, this is amazing. Your work matters. And it matters in eternity. I don't know if you remember the, the the movie Gladiator. Oh, yes. When Maximus, they're about to go into battle, and he's got all his special forces dudes up on the hill, and it says, what you do today echoes in the halls of eternity. I just love that line because it's true. What you do today echoes in the halls of eternity. Don't waste it. Don't spend your time doing something that he hasn't called you to do. It's like, God, please spare me from the dead ends of indifference. Patriots, that's the end of part one with Pastor Brad Cummings. Part two will air tonight in lieu of Bard's Fishers of Men. Patriots, let's pray. Father, we are just humbled to be here tonight as we share this fellowship on the eve before the Christmas weekend and just hearing a great message from Pastor Brad Cummings and just the reflection on how great you are. We just pray that people will just reach and strive to achieve, not to be held back by fear, to release the bondages that this world places upon us to con- tries to convince us that we can't, but instead start listening to the words we can and to strive for greatness in all that we do to listen to you, Father, to, to truly walk in the love and the beauty of Jesus and to walk boldly in this world without fear, without hesitation, knowing that we walk in the light and authority of kingdom. And we say these things in Christ Jesus' name. Amen. Again, Patriots, part two will air in at the 9 o'clock slot for Fishers. I think you'll enjoy part two just as much. Thank you for being here on this eve before christmas weekend so keep your head up and your eyes forward never bow to evil never relent always press into the fight god is with us he'll never forsake us and in the end god always wins and we are here in this time in this place for just such a time as this we are at war so walk boldly and fearlessly with christ occupy the land expand the kingdom subdue the enemy mission forward Patriots, I'll see you tonight for part two on Bards FM. Until then, or until the next time, God bless, Merry Christmas, and out for now. We shall pay any price, bear any burden, meet any hardship, support any friend, oppose any foe to assure the survival and the success of liberty. Every thoughtful citizen who despairs of war 
and wishes to bring peace should begin by looking inward, by examining his own attitude towards the possibilities of peace. Too many of us think it is impossible. Too many think it is unreal. But that is a dangerous, defeatist belief. It leads to the conclusion that war is inevitable, that mankind is doomed, that we are gripped by forces we cannot control. We need not accept that view. Our problems are man-made. Therefore, they can be solved by man. And man can be as big as he wants. No problem of human destiny is beyond human beings. Man's reason and spirit have often solved the seemingly unsolvable. And we believe they can do it again. Surely the opening vistas of space promise high costs and hardships, as well as high reward. So it is not surprising that some would have us stay where we are a little longer, to rest, to wait. But this city of Houston, this state of Texas, this country of the United States was not built by those who waited and rested and wished to look behind them. This country was conquered by those who move forward, and so will space. We choose to go to the moon in this decade and do the other thing, not because they are easy, but because they are hard. Because that challenge is one that we're willing to accept. The energy, the faith, the devotion, which we bring to this endeavor, will light our country and all who serve it. And so, my fellow Americans, ask not what your country can do for you, ask what you can do for your country. thousands of years to show its face. It has only one intent, to destroy God's light and to enslave. It has no scruples. It has no rules but one, to win at any cost. But we will never bow, for we are the remnant that will hold the line. This is war. We fight. Push. We climb. We never give in. We become the nightmare that evil didn't know could exist. We pray. We stand. We live by the words in God we trust. We fear nothing. We are the light that can never be extinguished. We are patriots. We are the digital army that will help deliver God's wrath. 